Welcome to the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast for another example of astronomy and astronomy-related misconceptions, mistakes, half-truths, and conspiracies. My name is Stuart Robbins, and this is episode 152 for the second half of November 2016. The topic I'm going to talk about today is Young Earth Creationism Defending Around Earth. Or, to be more OCD in the episode title, it's Modern Flat Earth Thought Part 3, which is debunking the idea of a flat Earth by Young Earth creationists, as in the Young Earth creationists saying that flat Earth proponents are wrong. The reason that I thought this would make for an interesting episode is that many people in the past have argued that a literal reading of the Judeo-Christian Bible shows Earth is flat, and therefore, this is evidence that Earth is flat. Thus, I thought that it was intriguing that the Creation Ministries International, or CMI, which is one of the largest Young Earth-promoting ministries, and it's based in Australia, posted a lengthy article on September 13th of 2016 entitled, A Flat Earth and Other Nonsense. It had the subtitle, Dealing with Ideas That Would Not Exist Were It Not for the Internet. People who believe in a flat earth and get that belief, or at least they claim evidence from the Bible, will cite any number of different passages, some really grasping at straws, while others seem perhaps a tad more reasonable if one were to interpret them literally. From what I think is the really, really reaching perspective, one could go to any of the numerous passages that state something is rising up, and some, such as Charles Johnson, who was the leader of the Flat Earth Society in the 1980s, used that to argue for a flat Earth because on a round planet, there is no absolute direction up. In other words, there's no up in space. It's all relative from your position on a globe. Therefore, Earth is flat. From the more reasonable literal interpretations, Isaiah 40.22 is often quoted because it states that God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and the writer specifically did not use the Hebrew word for a sphere. In other passages, such as Matthew 4.8 and Luke 4.5, the book refers to the devil taking a person to a high mountain and then being able to see all the kingdoms of the world at once. Clearly, on a sphere, you can never see at least 50% of the globe at once, and therefore, the only way that this would literally be possible is if Earth were flat. Elsewhere, references of Earth's four corners are mentioned, which would only work if Earth were a flat square, or if Earth were a three-dimensional tetrahedron. Considering that four corners would disagree with a literal interpretation of Earth being a circle, and flat Earth proponents think Earth is a flat circle, or a disk several miles thick, this kind of language of four corners is less frequently cited because it is a contradiction. But, while most of us reading these may appreciate early Judaic cosmology or even the language for its poetic value and wonder how anyone could possibly interpret this as meaning Earth is flat— Biblical literalists take other passages from the Bible as literally true. For example, God making everything in a literal six days in a completely different order from modern cosmology. Or a literal Noah who was 600 plus years old who gathered thousands of kinds of animals and pairs and took care of them for a year with just his small family helping. This is despite all of the modern science saying that these ideas are ridiculous, just as ridiculous as the idea of a flat earth. And so, I found it interesting that a young Earth creationist website would tackle this issue and for once come down on the side of real science.
The CMI article starts by pointing out what several of us who address this claim already have as well. The modern resurgence of the modern flat earth proponents is very recent, only happening in the last few years. They identify this by pointing out that in 2013, they wrote about the flat earth myth, and they received zero negative comments. In contrast, their article from two months ago, as I record this, has had so many people attacking them and claiming Earth is flat that they closed the comments, even though they screen all of their comments. They refer to an article they wrote in the previous month as motivation for their new article and the number of flat Earth responses they got in the comments. From the previous article from August 11th of 2016, it was Isaiah 40:22 and the shape of the Earth. This is the passage where it says that God looked down on the circle of the planet. In that article, there really aren't that many flat earth responses, with only the last one by Oleg D. in the Ukraine, who wrote, It's a paid article. If Hebrews didn't saw any difference between ball and circle, they would use same word. But they don't. Just look at the horizon. See any curves? In their September article, they say, most of the influence of modern flat earth proponents today is coming from a series of online videos that have been shared widely. These were created by charlatans and, sadly, are deceiving many. Even more sadly, some Christians are being caught up in the hype. It is not our business to warn people about each and every false idea that comes up, but only when the idea directly impinges on a straightforward biblical teaching. And so their motivation is to say that Earth is not flat because they don't think it's flat because other people are saying that the Bible says it is flat. And they don't want people to think that the Bible is so silly as to claim that Earth is flat and therefore people won't believe other things that they do believe from the Bible because they think that it literally says those certain things. It's a little bit of a complicated reasoning, but I think that it does make sense when you think about it from their standpoint. In other words, they say, look, the flat earth idea is, let's face it, really, really silly. People who look at the flat earth idea are also going to think it's really silly. They're going to see that people are using the Bible to say that flat earth is real. Therefore, they're going to think, well, if I know that this idea is silly and they're using the Bible to back it up, well, what other stuff that people use the Bible for is also really silly, and thus they're going to start to doubt the Bible. Therefore, CMI steps in with this kind of article. What I don't like about this article is that they do not go into the biblical arguments that are made and refute those. Instead, they go through science arguments for Earth being a sphere. And since I haven't yet discussed any of the positive independent evidence for Earth being a sphere, rather I've only done the refutations of the flat Earth arguments, this is, well, as good as any of a reason to talk about the independent evidence. The first they discuss is lunar eclipses. A lunar eclipse is when Earth passes between the sun and the moon such that Earth's shadow is cast on the moon. A lunar eclipse happens everywhere on Earth that can see the moon at the same time, as opposed to rising and setting times which vary by your location. Lunar eclipses also happen regardless of which parts of Earth are facing the moon at any given time. So, even if you don't get to see the current lunar eclipse, someone else on the planet does, and it looks mostly the same as the next time that you do get to see one. This is pretty much impossible if Earth were flat. As the CMI article states, the shadow of the Earth, when cast on the moon during a lunar eclipse, is round. 
But note that lunar eclipses do not always happen when the moon is in the same position in the sky. If the Earth were flat, the Earth's shadow would not have the same shape when the moon is directly overhead as it would when the moon is closer to the horizon. End quote. And this is something that the ancient people did observe, at least as far back as Aristotle, and they used these observations to argue that Earth was round and not flat. In order to argue that this was a flat planet, you would have to do some pretty crazy ad hoc special pleading. The second piece of positive evidence cited in the CMI article is how objects disappear behind the horizon. They disappear bottom first, and they reappear top first. This has long been observed, well back into ancient times, and surviving writings from the Middle Ages used this observation to argue that the Earth was not flat. This was brought up when Jimmy Church interviewed Mark Sargent about his flat Earth claims. Jimmy went on and on for literally about 15 minutes about ships disappearing bottom first and reappearing top first at the horizon, and how he watched this as a child living in Panama. When confronted with this, Mark's only response was that it was due to optics. He claimed that telescopes bend light, and therefore this was simply an artifact of looking through a telescope or binoculars. Jimmy countered that by saying he was doing this with his unaided eye, and of course, ancient people did this without telescopes, and he wasn't using a telescope himself. Mark dodged this question and moved on to something else. I would play the clip for you, but as I said, it's literally about 15 to 20 minutes long, and no one should have to listen to that much paranormal radio host arguing with a flat Earth proponent. The next evidence that CMI uses is a group of observations that have to do with sunlight. First, they point out that the sun stays the same size in the sky regardless of where it is, either on the horizon or straight up. Flat Earth proponents claim that the sun and moon are pretty much flashlights in the sky and that they have directional beams that move around the planet and therefore they get closer to and farther from you, meaning that they would have to change size, but the sun does not and the moon's size change does not correlate with where it is in the sky. Therefore, Earth is round. The next part of this sunlight evidence is that if you live near or visit mountains, you will see sunlight hit the tops of the mountains first, before anywhere else, and they will be the last bits to lose the sun. Similarly, this is hard to explain with a disk Earth as opposed to it being exactly what you would expect if Earth were a globe. Third are noctilucent clouds, which are high-altitude faint clouds composed of tiny ice crystals. Noctilucent means night, light. Noct meaning night, lucent meaning light. They're several times higher in altitude than normal clouds, and they're not visible during the day, but they are at night. And they're lit up longer into the twilight and night than lower-altitude clouds. This only works if Earth is round, and these clouds are high enough that they catch the sun's light that's below the lower cloud's horizon, but these higher-up clouds can see the sun because their horizon line is farther away. The next piece of evidence is one that I'll intro by quoting CMI. One of the worst aspects of the Flat Earth claim is that to believe it, you have to deny simple trigonometry. You see, if two people standing at different places on the Earth, but in known distance apart, simultaneously measure the angle to the sun from a theoretical cord drawn through the Earth, they get approximately the same answer. Why? 
because the sun is so far away that parallax is almost non-existent. It amounts to just over eight arcs of an angle, or 0.000407 degrees. What happens if Earth is flat, and two people try this? Let's say someone measures the angle to the sun at sunrise. At the exact same time, someone else on the other side of the world measures their sunset. They both get an angle of zero. This means that the sun must be sitting on the Earth. In the north-south direction, stars that appear overhead at night to an observer on the equator would appear to be sitting on the ground to an observer at the North Pole and VV. I don't know what VV is. I'm assuming it might be a typo. Yet both parties would claim those stars are very far above their heads indeed. End quote. So in other words, they're saying basic geometry is parallax. That is the phenomenon where, for example, if you uh, put your finger out and block a distant object, close one eye, and then open it and close the other eye, that object will appear to jump. That's because you have basically two observation points. In a flat Earth, things would behave in the sky differently than in a round Earth. And so that's what this long quote from CMI is arguing. The CMI article continues from that, and they discuss how we did calculate the distance to the sun through the transit of Venus across it in the 1700s, and then again in the 1800s, again using very, very basic trigonometry. To get a flat planet, you pretty much have to deny basic mathematics that would screw up most of our modern world if it were wrong. Or, as CMI put it, quote, Hipparchus used parallax to measure the distance to the moon in the 2nd century BC, thus you could do it too. He was less than 10% off and must have assumed a spherical Earth to do the calculations. Today, we know that the moon is 384,400 kilometers away. This is not debatable. Or, trigonometry is a lie. Like the sun, the moon is also too far away for flat Earth models. End quote. CMI's next piece of positive evidence for a globe is time zones. Personally, I don't like this one quite as much because it would also work with a flashlight sun over a disk Earth, even though that's still a pretty much special pleading explanation. But embedded within the time zone argument is again a piece of writing from almost a millennium ago. This writing is by John Sikrosbosko, perhaps. Quote, that the Earth, too, is round is shown thus. The signs and stars do not rise and set the same for all men everywhere, but rise and set sooner for those in the east than for those in the west. And of this there is no other cause than the bulge of the Earth. Moreover, celestial phenomena evidence that they rise sooner for Orientals than for Westerners. For one and the same eclipse of the moon, which appears to us in the first hour of the night, appears to Orientals about the third hour of the night, which proves that they had night and sunset before we did, of which setting the bulge of the earth is the cause. End quote. There are several other evidences that CMI uses to show that earth is a globe. Like time zones, I don't like all of their arguments, and I think that it shows that they haven't actually listened to quite as many Flat Earth proponents as I have. For example, they use the argument that you see different stars depending on your latitude on Earth. Flat Earth proponents argue that this is the case because 
the stars are very, very close. And it's, again, simple parallax based on your position on the planet where the stars I see directly overhead are different than those someone else would see because they are beyond the other person's vanishing point. Of course, there are lots of problems with this explanation. Like, again, parallax works both ways here, and if it can show that the sun and the moon are really far, it also shows that stars are really far too. So far, that stellar parallax wasn't found until the 1800s. And, while this explanation would work for why people in the northern hemisphere see different stars than those in the south because a flat earth model has the southern hemisphere all spread out around the periphery of the circle, everyone in the southern hemisphere would see different stars from everyone else in the southern hemisphere. Okay, so let me backtrack a bit and re-explain that. If you have a disk that is Earth, and you have stars that are really close, the flat Earth proponents are going to argue that if you are at any given position on the planet, you're going to see different stars than someone else at a different position because the stars that are farther away from your position are beyond your vanishing point. So that works for explaining why people in the northern hemisphere see different stars than those in the southern hemisphere. But on a disk Earth, the flat Earth proponent's model is that the southern hemisphere is basically spread way out and splayed around the circumference of the disk. So, by the same token that people in the northern hemisphere, which on the disk model would be near the center of the disk, or middle, I guess, uh, by the same token that they say that people in the northern hemisphere would see stars different from those in the southern hemisphere, people on opposite sides of the southern hemisphere should also see completely different stars, and yet they don't. They see the same stars as everyone else in the southern hemisphere, just, you know, later because they have sunlight when people on the opposite side have daylight. So, while I don't particularly like this argument that proves Earth is a globe because the flat earthers still sort of, kind of, not really, but still sort of, kind of have a way around it, their way around it still doesn't actually work. Another line of evidence that CMI uses is circumnavigation of the globe. I don't like this because it's less provable by the average person, and so the flat earth proponents often will just claim conspiracy, or say that people get lost and didn't actually go where they said they did or spend as long doing it as they say they did. I may be playing quotes for you about that in a future episode. CMI also talks about astronauts in space, but flat earthers have an entire genre of claims that they say refute space travel entirely, so I'm going to save that for another future episode. Cynically, though, I think that it's important to point out this line from CMI. One astronaut, Lieutenant Jeff Williams, has recently returned from his fourth trip to space. Not only has Colonel Williams set the record for cumulative days in space, 534, but he is also an outspoken Christian. So CMI is basically saying that because someone is an outspoken Christian, there's no way they could possibly be lying about this, because apparently if you're religious, you don't lie. The CMI article went on to state why Earth appears to be flat to the casual observer on the ground, something that I've addressed in previous episodes, so I'm not going to get into it here. CMI ends their article with a conclusion section, and because I can't help it, I have to point out that the very first sentence of their conclusion is a no-true-Scotsman fallacy. Quote, every major creationist organization rejects flat-earth idea and always has, end quote. 
I say this as a no true Scotsman fallacy because I would argue that many Judeo-Christian creationist organizations have in fact argued that Earth is flat, considering that there's no objective metric to say whether one is a major creationist organization. In fact, I suspect that some of the founders of the Flat Earth Society from over a century ago would argue that they were a major creationist organization because they were taking the Bible, as they thought, so literally. Also, the next sentence in the CMI article says they are all about science, good observational science. And two sentences later, CMI absolutely rejects the theory of evolution. But that is a story for other podcast shows. And so, for my wrap-up for this episode's main segment, I hope that you found this sort of interesting. It's one of the few episodes that I've done where I start out to make a positive case for something in science rather than set out to make a negative case for the pseudoscience. The episode where I've done this before that most comes to mind is episode 44. That was well over 100 episodes ago. Independent evidence the Apollo moon landings were real. So it's high time that I do it again. And I think that it's also important through this episode to show that just because I may disagree with the vast, vast majority of what some people and institutions claim, that does not mean that I reject absolutely everything they say or do just out of spite or just cuz. I think for proper and fair skepticism, if perhaps uh, really, really long and grueling skepticism, you can't just dismiss everything that someone claims out of hand on principle, but rather every claim must be examined on its own merit. I've used arguments that Richard Hoagland has made to prove that the moon doesn't have an atmosphere. Here, I've used arguments from young Earth creationists to show that Earth is not flat. And, as Martha Stewart would say, It's a good thing. There are only going to be two short additional segments for this episode. Uh, In part, and it sounds like a broken record at this point, that's really to try to get this episode out sooner, even though as I record this, it is November 30th rather than later. So first off, logical fallacies. There were really three that I pointed out in this episode. There was the special pleading, argument from authority, and the no true Scotsman. The argument from authority was, hey, a Christian has said something, therefore it must be true. Obviously, that is a fallacious reason for an argument. The no true Scotsman, I already addressed pretty briefly as well, and that's the case where you have a situation where you say, well, nobody who is really this would believe or say or do that. However, that really basically says, well, I'm saying that the only way that you can be a true this is by not doing this or that. So the no true Scotsman gets its name from the idea of, okay, uh, every Scotsman likes haggis. And someone says, well, hey, this guy over here is from Scotland and he hates haggis. And the person says, well, okay, they're just not a true Scotsman. So that's where the no true Scotsman fallacy comes from. Special pleading is a different case and it's a larger class of arguments. And the special pleading is really where 
It's practically impossible to argue against someone because they keep making up new reasons for why they're correct. Politicians do this actually quite a bit, but so do pseudoscientists. So the uh, archetypal example for this is really probably Carl Sagan's Invisible Dragon. The idea is, okay, Carl Sagan takes you out to his garage and says, hey, I have a dragon in my garage. And you say, well, where is it? And he says, well, it's invisible. And it also, you know, its breath doesn't, it doesn't breathe on you. And you say, okay, well, I'm going to put flour on it. And he says, okay, well, actually, it's also, uh, it phases in and out of existence. And so the flour would just fall through it and it would never actually drape over the dragon so you could never see it. And you say, okay, well, I'm going to stand in the middle and get trampled by it. And he says, well, actually, it flies. In other words, you keep making up reasons as to why you are going to be right. Flat Earth proponents do this an awful lot because basically every time someone comes up with an argument for why they're going to be wrong, well, they invent some other reason as to why they're right. So, for example, when people say, well, in a disk model, the sun and the moon would evenly illuminate the entire planet regardless of whether it should be day or night, so it should always be daylight, they say, well, actually the sun and the moon are like flashlights. They have directional beams, and that's why they only illuminate part of the planet at any given time. So that's the argument from special pleading. For the second segment, this episode is announcements. The only announcement for this episode is a slight apology for getting it out so late. Uh, The reason being are twofold. First, after November 8th, I was a little unhappy with the election results. There were some local issues in Colorado that I was unhappy with the way they turned out. Um, There were some national issues. And the second reason is that I got sick yet again. I think the reason is that I am allergic to New York. I went to New York three times this year. Each time I got sick. So let's just say I'm allergic to New York. Fortunately, I will not be going back to New York for uh, at least 11, and no, 10 and a half months. So hopefully it should be clear sailing from then uh, or until then. But you may have noticed that I sounded a little bit congested in this episode. It is clearing up, so hopefully the next episode will be bright and cheery and back to my usual self. Oh, I do take it back. There is a second announcement, and actually it should be in a feedback. So let's say that there are three additional short segments in this episode. The feedback is I've gotten a couple people asking me if I would, as in not would I, but asking me to debate a young earth creationist on this show. My answer is an unequivocal no. This is not intended to be a debate podcast. It's also not intended to give a platform to pseudoscientists. So, no, I'm not going to debate any Flat Earth proponent. I have listened to their arguments. I have spent many, many, many hours listening to their arguments and reading their arguments. I know how they argue, and I choose not to talk to a brick wall. I do that enough in my professional life. And so, with that said... And all the other stuff said, until next time, insert inspiring catchphrase right here. That wraps up this topic for the 152nd edition of the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast. Thank you for listening. And I hope that you enjoyed it and learned a little or a lot at the same time. 
For more information about this podcast, please visit the website at podcast.sjrdesign.net. If you have any feedback, please use the feedback form on the website or send an email directly to podcast at sjrdesign.net. You can also leave a comment on the page for this episode on the website, on the blog post for the episode, or on the Facebook page for the podcast. You can also tweet me at pseudoastro. I do read every message and appreciate the feedback. If you have suggestions for topics, please feel free to make them. Also, please write a review and rate this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or your podcast website or service of choice. If you liked it, you can also tell friends, family, and random people that you might meet on the internet.